you know, this is a long process. So um, for me, it's been, uh, and I get emotional sometimes about this, you got to raise your hand. And it's okay that, that they chose you because you're Latino. That doesn't mean anything. It's an opportunity, you know. So open the door and take it. That was Juan Gonzalez, president of KeyBank Central Indiana Market, talking about how he reflects and influences his values of diverse authenticity to help elevate Indiana's business community. And this is IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. So Juan, thank you so much for joining us on this 26th episode of the Freedom Forum, and congratulations to all your recent accolades. I saw that you're listed as one of the 250 most influential people in Indiana. You've recently been named the moderator of the Stanley K. Lacey Executive Leadership Class, which is phenomenal. So congrats on all of your recent successes. And before we get started, will you please tell our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background, and any other factors that have led to you becoming the president of Key Bank in Central Indiana? Congratulations to you, actually, on the great success of this podcast. Thank you. You know, we see it all over online. We hear it. Uh, you're getting a lot of awards for it. So it's an honor to be here. So thank you for having me. Let me tell you a little bit about me. Uh, and by the way, thank you for saying that the 200, 250 more influential, that's a great honor, all of that. But it, it is because the hard work that so many people are doing in this community. And I'm part of that. So I'm very, very proud to say that. Uh, I'm originally from Colombia. I've been in Indianapolis for 24 years now. So technically, I'm a Hoosier, I guess. Yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> Went to school in Colombia for undergrad and came here to do my, my master's, my MBA. Ended up going to Butler University, an MBA in finance. And as life goes, you know, I was supposed to go back home, do my thing in Colombia, all of that. Well, Colombia was going through a little turmoil uh, at that time, so, so I stayed a little longer here. Did an internship at a financial institution here locally, Bank One, now JP Morgan. Mm -hmm. Then graduated and then got hired by National City Bank, now PNC. So my banking career has been going <laughs> on for a while. But then I got to National City because a classmate of mine from South Africa, which is kind of hard to, to, to make the connection, a South African and a Colombian at Butler University in the 1998 you know, era, um, we connected, became friends. He still lives here. Uh, he was hired by them. So he was the first international student that they did the working visa for at that time. So like, hey, man, come over. And, you know, we, we need somebody with your training, your education. So I joined them. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years. Wanted to travel the country. There was an insurance company that wanted somebody like me to do financial analysis uh, and auditing. And those days, you know, this is pre-9-11. So it was like 40% travel. Right. It was fun to go all over the country. Then 9-11 happened. Thing changed. Yeah. It became 90% travel, but then traveling, you know, became more difficult. All of that. Got married. Then, you know, my wife used to travel international. Then we have Maggie. Then, you know, things start getting a little more like, hey, we, we need more time at home. Right. And she's like, you know, we have Thomas and, you know, somebody had to stay home more. So I ended up staying here, taking a job back in banking. Somebody I knew from National City Bank was a fifth bank at the time. We talk, you know, the old days, you have a meeting. That afternoon, somebody's making you an offer. Boom, right. back to banking. Was a fifth for about seven years, multiple uh, jobs. 
And then KeyBank came looking for, for somebody like me 14 years ago. So it's been 14 years now at Key. Great opportunity, great company, you know, doing some, some good work out there in the community. And you are absolutely doing some great work in the community. I see you out in the community so much. We'll talk about that in a bit. But, you know, you mentioned you've been at KeyBank for 14 years, but I think you've been in your current role about six or so years. So during that time, what do you believe is one of the greatest lessons you've learned about yourself as a leader of people? And then what has been one of your greatest accomplishments as a people leader? No, yeah, certainly. So, so I will say there's three things for 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 sure, Angela. One, I have learned to be a better communicator, and and I'm not saying just talking, but listening. Mm. There's a big difference between the two. Sure, you know, we we grow up thinking that we know all the answers, and somehow, you know, people in my role, supposedly because of the title, what we say is what matters. Well, you know, we make a lot of mistakes too. We're humans, so when you listen to people and their concerns and ideas and solutions you become a better leader and a better person. So that teamwork atmosphere has been big for me to learn and, and become better at it. You know, uh, you're only as good as your team are. You know, we talk about that good to great book uh, that is kind of like the Bible of leadership. It's so true. Mm-hmm. If your team is great, you're going to be great. So, so I learned that early on and then continue to work on that effort to make sure I become a better communicator. Number two, diversity is not just a race thing. You know, gender, disabilities, diversity of thought, religion, I mean, you, you age. And when you have a diverse team, you know, the ideas that are flowing are so much better and stronger. And that has allowed us to be more successful. So it's been interesting to tie the two together and see the performance of the team. And it's not just because it's a diverse team. I mean, you got to work on it. You got to be out there. But I can see the difference between a team like mine versus other teams where diversity of different types is included. So that's been number two. And lastly, the community work. I mean, this company allows me to be out and about. As you mentioned, I'm probably way too many boards, but that's part of what I do, right? I love community. The company loves community. So the two go hand in hand. So it's been a perfect uh, marriage, you will, of working together. So so you mentioned that you're originally from Colombia, but you moved here to go to school and then you stayed many years ago seeking additional opportunities like so many of us for education. Can you describe some of the challenges and maybe even some culture shock that you experienced when making Indiana your home? And what can schools and organizations or employers do to help their diverse associates and employees, particularly those who are not from Indiana, nevertheless not from the United States, to feel a sense of inclusion when trying to relocate to the Hoosier State? Yeah, no, for sure. So so um, l- let me say this thing. So the United States as a country, you know, for all of us, is kind of like that pinnacle of a place that you want to be at, right? The opportunities, the freedoms. Like we, we like to say in Colombia, nothing happens in the United States. You know, that kind of atmosphere. So it's always a dream for many of us to visit. Uh, but I never thought I was going to live in the United States, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, so we always wanted to come visit. That We did that as kids. We came to Disney World, all those fun trips, went back. We knew about the United States, of course. But moving here is a different situation. So when I came to do my schooling, you know, my MBA, uh, the goal was to head back to Colombia and, you know, have a degree from an American university it was a big thing for a Colombian employee. So that was that was it, right? 
Well, you know, as life goes, you know, you learn a little bit about the Hoosier culture and the culture, in, especially in Indiana and the Midwest. We hear a lot about how nice people are, and people are actually really nice compared to other cities where, you know, life is busier and faster and, and maybe they don't have time to talk to you. But since I arrived here, everyone has been so willing, and I know I'm very fortunate in many ways, uh, but I never had any issue with anyone saying, hey, you have a, an accent, go back, hey, you don't look like us, go back. Now, Indianapolis is different. Outside of Indianapolis, I get that. But that, to me, was a great a great uh, experience that I felt kind of like part of something, even though I wasn't born here. I didn't have a last name that was an American last name. If you think about it, maybe now, of course, Gonzalez is more popular now, but but that's because immigration has has changed things. But when I got here, you know, going to school with my accent, my English, it was kind of like funny, you know, you will do these presentations and hopefully they understood what you say, but, you know, so learning to to not be afraid of saying things was a big deal for me. Butler did a really good job of making sure that we were welcome, that we have access to all the resources that we needed, that if we were missing whatever it was, they could help us get there. So this is pre-9-11. So like, for example, getting a social security number, you needed to do it to buy a car. So back then they will say, hey, this is the, they will tell you where to go and get it. So little things like that, you know, how to open a bank account uh, so you could have the money for different things. If you wanted to apply for a credit card, you know, somebody will help you with that. How to move at the time, I, I forgot what it's, Indigo was called something else, but the bus system, you know, to, to, to move. Uh, so, so they were always very welcoming. I think schools in general do a lot of that today. Maybe they've been doing it forever. But I think it has gotten like a bigger uh, momentum because there's so many international students now in the system, not just here, but all over the country. I know Indiana, IU and Purdue do a really good job recruiting people from countries like Colombia because the international students, you know, the tuition, all that stuff. So it's been great, um, a great experience so far. Yeah, that's really uh, fascinating. I, I always say that, of course, I'm not from outside of the U.S., but I'm certainly not from Indiana. And I really believe that one of the greatest benefits of this city and the state is that they are so welcoming, that you can truly be from somewhere else with no connections to Indianapolis and be able to integrate. And you are not just integrate into the community, but truly become a facet of the community and a community leader. You and I have both been afforded the opportunities and the blessings to be able to do that. Now, of course, that's over the course of 20 right, years for right, both of us, right? right? But there are some cities that just don't allow that to happen, no matter how long you've been there. So I'm glad to see that you are another example of someone who is not from here, but has been able to integrate and truly not just survive, but thrive in this community. You know, what's interesting about uh, that too, Angela, is that uh, because this society has changed demographically so much, yeah. um, the United States and Indianapolis, of course, you know, I think the interest became bigger in, in, in the local community to learn more about people like me. Mm -hmm. You know, people coming to this town and, hey, what do you guys do? And why are you coming here? And what do you guys like to do? And, you know, and then you start seeing these migration flows of Latinos and, of course, now Burmese and uh, the Asian community is growing also sure. very fast. But But you used to go to the West Side and there is all these restaurants opening up everywhere that were not here when I arrived. Right. Uh, Don Pablo's used to be the best Mexican restaurant in town 
when I got here in 1998, yeah. which, you know, you might remember that name or not, but that was like a like a chain and it was like a Tex-Mex kind of restaurant. Yeah. Then drive around now, the amount of supermarkets that are there. Absolutely. Uh, the ethnic restaurants. I mean, so it's, it's been a, a building up kind of society that, that, that has allowed us to be here. Well, that's that's a good point that the community has grown as well, right? So it has grown to become more welcoming of diverse folks generally. And we talk about that a lot with regard to, you know, it's not just enough to recruit people here. They have to be find themselves in an environment where they actually want to stay, right? And and play some roots. So it, it's great to hear your perception of how that has this community has evolved and changed to be more welcoming to diverse folks. So you mentioned um, you're from Colombia. You are a Latinx business leader. And I've had an opportunity to speak with quite a few Latinx and Hispanic leaders about diversity, equity, and inclusion, which you already mentioned is not just about race or ethnicity. It encompasses many, many things. But what do you believe are some issues that are specifically faced by Hispanic or Latinx business leaders in our community? And what can some of our corporate or city leaders do to address those and, again, make this city and state more welcoming to diverse folks? No, no, that's certainly a challenge. And it'll be a challenge for probably many years to come. Uh, I do think there are there are three, three things that are, are significant. One, the perception that for some reason all Latinos... Uh, are are only able to do some some type of jobs. I mean that's not true. So right. so how do we teach people and educate people that there is other opportunities out there that Latinos can do and are doing actually today? I mean corporate America is starting to to change demographically too, and that's taking some time. Uh, yeah. But I mean I'm from Colombia, so you hear all the jokes about boy you're from Colombia, then you might be tied to the drug cartels and blah blah blah. So that perception becomes reality. So the more that we can teach. Uh, our kids and our corporate leaders and and our co-workers that Latinos are multiple countries within Latin America and every country is also different. We all speak Spanish, but that doesn't mean that everybody is the same. So that's been a a long, long effort that we're trying to teach out there. There is more of us doing some other types of jobs. Let's, Let's forget about perception. Number two, corporate America is an interesting uh, uh, case study, right? I mean, there's so many things that we have done great in corporate America, but for some reason, this integration of DE&I has been such a hard thing to work through or to talk to mm-hmm. about. I think we're better today at talking about it. I think more most companies are willing to have these conversations, and it's not about replacing a person with somebody else. This is about adding. You know, like we grow as a company, we add more talent when we open up to other people. Of, you know, regardless of what that color of their skin is right. or their things, the thoughts. But I do think we're starting to see the results. You know, I, we're a capitalistic society. So when you start seeing the numbers and you start seeing the purchasing power of, for example, females, mm-hmm. the purchasing power of, of black Americans, of Latinx Americans, I mean, like that's, those are real numbers. So I think that calls the attention to corporate America to say, well, we got to figure out. Yeah. Uh, if we don't, we're going to miss the boat. And that that has helped us, people like you and I, to to be taken into account more seriously and to listen to some of our thinking. So you can bring also some people that you might know that have different thoughts. And so so I think overall is moving the needle, not as fast as we would like. I mean, let's be let's be real. 
industries like mine are still very male wide you know driven which is fine i mean it takes time to make progress but i can tell you internally we are working really hard to move those numbers our board has asked for that our executive team is working on that so that's cool to see that is becoming a real part of what we do every day yeah and then finally i think the schooling you know so when you look at our school systems nowadays the graduation rates of course for african americans and latinos is, is not great so we got to work on that but I think you're starting to see that mix of population now changing the school systems. So I, I'm very hopeful that the future is bright, but we gotta make sure that those kids go to college. Yeah. Whatever career they wanna do, but we need them to make, to, to make that leap, if you call it a leap, so they graduate from college, they can work for, for companies like you and I do, and then be the next level of executive, you know? You, you've talked generally about Latinx and Hispanic leaders and what you face in corporate America and here in Indiana. And a, as a woman, I appreciate that, you know, my diverse male counterparts have different experiences in the workplace than I do. Um, and in fact, I've spoken with many diverse men on this show and just generally about the challenges that they encounter. And just recently, that included Anthony Prather, who was my previous guest on the last episode and is vice president and general counsel of Indiana University. And he was very transparent about some of the challenges that he has faced as a black man in Indiana business in multiple capacities. So what has been your unique experience as a diverse man climbing the corporate ladder at one of the largest bank systems in our state? What do you believe are some unique challenges faced by diverse men in business settings in Indiana and really all across our country, whether in private practice or corporations or even in government. And then finally, I'll ask again, what can employers do to address these issues to make sure that diverse men feel more included and particularly more accepted for advancements opportunity up and through any kind of corporate business setting or environment? Yeah, no, let me start with the last question because I didn't answer it before. So, 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 I think most companies, and I, certainly KeyBank is doing this, these are uh, affinity groups. You know, we yep. call it cabins, you know. Yep. Uh, every company calls it something else, but it's these affinity groups where we're allowing uh, people to to have these conversations, right? Like, it's just talk about what your challenges are, yep. what the issues are, so we can try to solve for it, right? I mean, you know, my company is from Alaska to Maine, upper middle United States, so you know, what somebody's dealing with in Seattle, Washington might be very different than what you're dealing here in Indianapolis sure. or in New York. Or So these groups allows you to have people from all over the country sharing some of the same challenges. How do we as a company fix those? So th that will help a lot for, for corporate America to deal with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And now belonging. You know, mm -hmm. We're talking a lot about belonging now yep. to make sure that we start making that transformation to the next phase of what D&I should be. Then mentoring, you know, we have something called Mentor Me at the company. I know every company tries to do something like that. And it's a formal mentoring program uh, that works two ways. You know, one, you can choose who do you want to be mentored by. So like people sign up, it doesn't have to be from the same kind of line of business, not the same location, you know, so I might be mentoring somebody in Denver or vice versa, right? Uh, so it's pretty cool because you get to meet people from different backgrounds and sure. different areas. So so we're really trying to do that as a company. And I believe most companies are trying to do something similar, uh, in some cases better than others. So we're trying to learn as we go. And the final thing that companies are doing, I think, or could do to be better is 
to try to create these, these uh, employee programs to do educational development and leadership development for that young leader that is identified to be a young leader. And we've been very, 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 very intentional about finding those minority employees that are very successful on their jobs, right? You got to be successful at your job. That's that's a given. Right. You and I have been doing this for a long time. We know that that comes with the with the territory, you will. But picking those people so so they can give the opportunity to them to senior management, to the Harvard School, to all these programs that will advance your career to be the next level of executive that we need so we can continue this process. So those three will be very helpful just to answer the last question. The first two that you ask about challenges, I'll tell you, you know, I, I've been very fortunate in many ways, but, but the reality is I'm a Latino. I don't look like everyone else and I have a very strong accent. So, you know, it, it wasn't easy, but, but this community allows you to raise your hand and say, I want to be part of this. They let you come in and then see what you do, right? Like you, you got it, you got to show that you had the talent to That's do right. it. But one thing that has been fascinating for me is that a lot of people join some of these boards and all that, but they don't talk or they don't participate or they don't, they don't ask questions. They don't challenge the process. So it's like, what are you joining this if you don't have any, any thoughts? And if you don't become part of that participation, then you just a check, check on the box. And so, so I tell people all the time, but join it, but, but make sure that you have ideas. Make sure that you join it because you're power, you're, you're passionate about it. So that's been working very well for me. And then the final uh, question, you know, this is a long process. So um, for me, it's been, uh, and I get emotional sometimes about this, you got to raise your hand. And it's okay that, that they chose you because you're Latino. That doesn't mean anything. It's an opportunity, you know. So open the door and take it. Wrong with it. So I get emotional because some people get offended by that. Like, why are you offended by that? Yeah. It's a great opportunity. Take it. Because in 10 years, it might not be there. Yeah. So again, you know, just just to answer your question. No, I, I agree. And I want to talk about that because, you know, I recognize and we just talked about and everybody knows there are challenges in being diverse in a non-diverse business. But to your point, you just kind of implied it. And I want to talk more about it. I really subscribe to the notion that there is often power and purpose when you are the only one or one of you. It's exactly what you're talking about, such as being a diverse business leader in an environment or a community or a corporation that there are not a lot of diverse people. So you are correct that, you know, many people see that as, oh, I was chosen because I'm black or I'm chosen because I'm a woman or I'm chosen because I'm Latino. But if you're good at what you do, take that as an opportunity to show up and show out. Right. And so at least that's how I subscribe oh, yeah. to that. So so describe for me if you agree some of the benefits and or advantages that you believe contribute to a diverse business leader like yourself and myself being able to successfully build a thriving career in a Midwest city like Indianapolis or a state like Indiana, where we know is not overly diverse, but yet 
we've still been able to be successful and we are representative of so many more of us out there. In particular, what unique qualities or characteristics or even skills do you think that you possess that have empowered your career success to date despite your diverse background? Uh, no, no, 100%, Angela. So, so, so the fact that, uh, that there is very few of us, I mean, I, we used to joke with, with uh, three other people that you know very well uh, you know, Rafael Sanchez, uh, the lawyer, of course, uh, <laughs> not the reporter. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Charlie Garcia, you know, Charlie yeah. in construction and, and Dr. Lopez, you know. Yeah. Uh, but at that point, when we started our careers and all of that, we were very few Latinos in positions that they could like, hey, we need a Latino at this board and we need another board. And so we would call each other and, hey, what board are you going to be this year? So I can be on the other one. So we could have a little bit of representation sure. in the community. Now we knew that at the time there was two things corporate America was doing or or the board trying to have a Latino on their board just to, you know, make sure to, they say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I do I truly believe that they wanted to learn a little bit about that community, right? Like they were curious enough to see, hey, we're seeing more more Latinos coming up. Maybe you can help us understand what that means. Sure. So so when I say, you know, hey, when the opportunity opens up, take it. Forget that you're the only Latino. Just you you imply earlier, like jump on it, showcase your qualities, and then make sure that they understand that we're that good. Right. And so they can invite some more people in. Do it, do the right thing, you know, open the doors for, right. for others. So and now you see that and there are leadership programs specifically to Latino professionals now that that are helping us develop that talent of of, of people to be on different boards different committees, different commissions. So we can expand this because it cannot be just two or three people. It needs to be hundreds. Right. And then it becomes part of the DNA that's of this right. community. So so that's been that's been great to see. I tell you, I mean some of the qualities I, I think I have, I'm I'm a very people person. So I love being surrounded by people. I love talking to people, listening to them, kind of like learning about them. You know, I think I think there is no better quality that anyone can have that just have the, the the decency of hey, how are you doing today? Tell me about about your life. Yeah. I mean, if you have kids, tell me about your kids. I mean, you know, wh what challenges do we have? We all have challenges, right? We're humans, regardless of our color of our skin. We are human beings, right. and I believe in in the bottom of my heart that everyone, if you have a kid, you want the best for your kid, and we all work to to do that. And you know, hopefully, you take a trip and you take a vacation and you get to to see other parts of the country or the world. But I think everyone wants to do the best so the next generation does better. So yeah. I, uh, that that's super cool. I feel like I, you know I have that that kind of quality, and I tell you I love to talk about my culture, and I think most people these days like to to hear about it. Uh, of course, in a way, no, that is overwhelming. But like they always ask you, like, hey, you know, what do you guys do in Christmas, or what did you do in? silly things like that. Sure. And you tell them some of the stuff that we do, and they're like, oh my god, you guys are crazy. Oh yeah. But that's how we celebrate it. Yeah. And uh, people appreciate understanding some of that because it gives you a different view of what, you know, different humans do in different parts of the world. Exactly. And make us all better. So so I, I think that's 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 a cool thing. And you know, for good or for bad, I, I'm a community person. And I say that because that means that you sacrifice a lot of time to be out and about. Mm -hmm. Now my family understands that. You know, many times they join me when it's possible, but multiple times they cannot come right right corporate corporate events or any community event 
So I've been always, I was raised to do that. My parents were very community driven. So we, since we were kids, we were doing that. And we were fortunate growing up, so we were able to do some of those things at an early age. So that's ingrained on me. Yeah, I do it all the time, but it's a sacrifice that some people don't realize. You know, if you want to do it, you know, it's going to take time away from other things. And you either like it or not, but you got to make that choice. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Juan Gonzalez, president of KeyBank Central Indiana Market on this 26th episode of the Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. One thing you mentioned is I really enjoy people. I enjoy being in the community. I enjoy talking about my culture and I enjoy learning about other people's culture. And I've said that so many times that so many people approach DEI like, oh, my corporation's making me take this training or we're having to have these conversations and I just don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. But you talked about the skill, the quality, the characteristic of having curiosity about other people. And I think I share that with you. It's why, I mean, outside of being a diverse person myself, it's part of what makes DNI so much of a fabric of my being because I genuinely enjoy learning about other people and their traditions and their backgrounds and their experiences because I appreciate. I'm only going to have my experiences, but I really enjoy. So I think it is, and and you seem to have the same perspective. It's how you view diversity and equity and inclusion and belonging. And I think it's that belonging piece, getting better familiar with your colleagues and your environment, your community, so that we all feel like we belong and we can all contribute to the greater good, whatever that is. I think if people shift their perspective on how they approach E&I, oftentimes that in and of itself is a win (laughs) because, you know, just approaching it as, okay, rather than, oh, I'm going to this conference or, oh, I got to have a, you know, a meeting with these people. Okay, let me see what I learned tonight, you know, or what who I get to know better tonight that I would have otherwise not had the opportunity to get to know. And for me, that is where DE&I really shows value in my life is when I have an experience and I realize, my goodness, I would have never been exposed to that had I not talked to this person or had I not reached out to that person or had they not reached out to me and invited me to some random event that I didn't even know existed. And I'm like, yeah, I'll try that. I've never even heard of it. I think if people kind of shift their perspective and have a more curious approach rather than a, oh, somebody's making me do this, that in and of itself would change how willing a a lot of us are to, you know, have some uncomfortable experiences, but ones that ultimately you realize were very valuable and really enriching for your life. You have any thoughts about that? Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Uh, I I mean, as you say, there is nothing better than going to to any kind of event or, or things that you're like, oh my God, I don't know what to expect out of this. 
and coming out of that like enriched. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not because the food was great. It's, not, it's just because what you learn culturally about yeah. that group is so refreshing. So I love going to all of those, of course, selfishly, because I love to learn about different cultures. But two, because, you know, these are our new neighbors, sure. our new communities. So so we need to get to know each other better. Uh, but I tell you something you you you, you touch on, um, that belonging piece. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, it's becoming bigger and bigger now on, on, on corporate America. But but we got to be able to have these conversations without feeling offended, without, without having to go to the corner and say, I don't want to talk about this because, you know, I'm going to be in trouble. I mean, we should have those safe spaces where we can talk about this. Yeah. We do it through through our communication process internally. You know, talk about the LGTB community and some of the things that they're dealing with. Uh, it's not just because, you know, you're African-American or Latino. There is so many other things going on that somebody has to be able to come to talk about it. Otherwise, it will eat you inside. And that's ne- never healthy either. But finally, I would say, that uh, I remember years ago when when uh, the Lafayette Square Mall used to be around, very active, and then they kind of went away. And then the, interna- the International Village, I think is what they call it, became a bigger kind of presence. And Mary, Mary Clark, uh, you might know Mary, she's worked very hard on that side of town to, to kind of bring people in. And, but going to some of those restaurants, and, and you know, I forget how many languages they speak on that side of town, uh, but it's more than 50 for sure. And just sitting there and eating some of the food and just watching people. Yeah. I don't know if you like watching people, people but it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. <laughs> uh, but you learn some things yeah. and, and how to eat different types of food and how to, you know, maybe you use forks, maybe you don't, depending on what kind of food you eat. So that, that I try to do that a lot because it's fascinating. And, and again, it enriches me. It makes me a better person. I think if we all will do that, if we all will... You know, maybe not go to McDonald's today, but let's go try the Mexican restaurant. Yeah. Let's go try the Peruvian restaurant or whatever. I mean, you'll come back saying, oh, my God, I didn't know that food was so good. I'm going to try it and I'm going to bring somebody else. Yeah. And then that multiplier effect gets bigger and bigger. I think your kids, my kids, you know, like they don't see race the same way. Yeah. They don't see any of that. They're like, oh, what is the big deal? Well, you know, they probably will learn through history some of the challenges, but but ideally, you know, the next generation will be much better than we are dealing with some of these issues. They'll have some other things to worry about, but I don't think it'll be this, just because demographically we're changing so quickly. And they've been introduced to it so early and throughout their life versus it being a topic that, oh, we don't want to talk about that because it's uncomfortable. They're used to it. They're used to being in school with kids who are different than them, look different, have different lifestyles, experiences, backgrounds, et cetera. Like in Colombia, I'll tell you, like... uh, Race is not really an issue. You know, like, you know, I'm called a mestizo, which is a mix of races, right? Like black, white, you know, whatever you want to call it, but it's called mestizo. So for us, it was more socioeconomical. So, you know, the rich, the medium class, the poor, that kind of stuff, but it was never that because you were a, a minority race, right, you wouldn't right. have access to this. It was, you know, do you have means or you don't have means? So that's a whole different societal problem. So coming here and seeing some of those dynamics, it was it was a kind of like a wake up call because I never knew that was so ingrained in our society here. Right, and that's why you know one of my passions have been you know being out and about, talking about what we do and showing people that there's a lot of people like me doing many different things. That perception that we talked earlier 
let me ask you this one, because you clearly are very comfortable with yourself. And, and I appreciate that that comes with age, as does wisdom, right? You just get a little more comfortable with yourself. But what do you think about, you know, the challenge, the the burden some may feel or the opportunity to use your platform, whatever that may be, to educate people about your culture, your differences, your experiences. And I ask that because I have kind of the vantage point that I'm always willing to share my experiences. I'm very comfortable with who I am and what I've been through as a black woman in America, in the Midwest, in Indiana. But but I have plenty of colleagues who are absolutely adamant that that is not my job. It is not my role to educate, you know, every white person about what it is to be diverse. I'm not taking that on. And I understand that perspective, too, especially if you're dealing with people who really are not in a place where they really really want to learn or they really want to care from an empathetic place versus, you know, some more egregious or malicious vantage point. So what are your thoughts there around, you know, how you take on the role of educating people, which it seems to me you're very comfortable with, but what are your thoughts there? No, no, no. I, I appreciate you say that because you and I are very similar on that. I, I love doing that. Like to me, that's probably one of the biggest things I can do to, to help move the needle. I mean, it's not just hiring people and promoting people. I think just talking about this, yeah. what it is to be a Latino now. And I'll tell you this, and, and some people might like it or not, but I, I, I come with privilege. So I wasn't a, a, a Latino kid that came to America because that was the only way out, right? I came to do a master's degree and I was going to go back home and do my thing. Um, so I have, I have many opportunities. Uh, so I'm fortunate that way. Uh, I, I can understand the challenges and I can sympathize with that, but I will never tell you and will never tell anyone that I totally feel the reason why I came here was to have a better life. You know, like those kind of things that you hear a lot. And, and I try to make sure people understand where I'm coming from so I can tell them the story the right way. I don't want people to think, well, you know, you, you cross the border and you stay. No, that was in my experience. But I get it. There is a lot of people that have done that for many reasons. And and we got to respect that and support them. And, and they're here. And how do we make this society better with, with the new communities? But, but more important, you know, education is such a critical component of everything we do, regardless of what level you're doing it, whatever, whatever is formal or informal. I think there is no better thing than sitting down with a person that disagrees with you, whatever disagreement it is. Of course, as long as it's cordial. And having a cup of coffee or a beer or whatever you're doing. And let's talk about it. How can I help you understand what I'm feeling? And let me understand why you feel that way. Because many times over, the reasons that are there are either because, you know, maybe their parents told them something that wasn't true or that they thought it was true, but it wasn't. Sure. Or maybe, you know, something happened at work. Maybe if he's a coworker, maybe I say something that I should have not say. Or maybe you heard something that wasn't true or... You know, some people get mad because they think you get promoted because you're you you you're rational, you're a minority. So it's like, oh, that's why you got promoted. No, that's not true. I mean, right. you you're proving that you can do your work. Let me show you. So so I'm a big proponent of having conversations all the time. I I'm as you say, very comfortable having that conversation, acknowledging that I've been I've been very privileged. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you can talk about it and realize it and tell people, hey, this is my experience they can take it or not. Yeah. But at least you're doing a little bit of the par 
of educating the community. I appreciate that we talk so much about privilege and, you know, I hear about people getting offended that they, you know, you say they're privileged. But I appreciate that you acknowledge just like I acknowledge we have some privilege. Now, maybe not all the privilege. Right. I certainly would never assert that I have the same privilege as a white man or, you know, and I shouldn't even say that generally because there are plenty white men who I have a whole lot of privilege over. Right. But certainly the fact that you have an education. Education. You have a higher education, right? You have an advanced degree. Those things absolutely lend to equate to privilege, no matter what your race or no matter what your ethnicity or background. But I do also believe and will assert, because I don't think there's any question about it, there just is a privilege in this country that comes with having skin that is not of color. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any question about that. So, you know, to to be offended that someone asserts that, you know, you have a privilege, I think we all have to acknowledge that we likely have a privilege. And certainly people like you and I who have a platform, who have a position, you have a team, you have people that report to you. I think that constitutes privilege. And so I want to ask you about how you, you, you just mentioned you're very comfortable with yourself. I am as well. How do you use that personal influence and your experiences that you've had personally to elevate DEI practices at your company and in the community and importantly within your rank and file employees, right? Not just the executive leadership, but the worker bees, you know, the people like myself <laughs> who want to have a better experience and a better cultural experience at your company. And how do you personally navigate? navigate your own authenticity, which, again, you seem to be very comfortable with in the corporate workplace and leadership ranks in a way that also allows your peers and colleagues and employees to have the same freedom and feel valued in your organization. Yeah, no, for sure. Let me let me start with the first one with, with you know, elevating people of color and I'm helping careers and, and internally and externally in the community. So So I do three things all the time. One, I evaluate my team on a, on a regular basis on, on making sure that not only they're producing, of course, you know, assume goals, all that, but where can I be influential in their personal journey and mm. professional journey? Meaning if they have a passion for, I don't know, healthcare, housing, transportation, whatever that community passion is, uh, maybe it's Girl Scouts, right? Boy, whatever those, can I help them get an opportunity to be a board member or a community member in those organizations, because that brings so much self-richness, if you will, to to make them better people, better community leaders. I believe that if you if you can you know do that conductor kind of role or bring the two together, they'll become better people. Um, and I've seen it happening. So so I try to make sure that people have that opportunity. You know, we get asked all the time, "Can you join this board? Can you do this thing?" And I'm always thinking, "Hey, we can we can play somebody from the company, but it won't be me. Can I bring?" And a younger leader right. that we, we see as a potential career opportunity, this will be great for them. And most most companies will say yes, or organizations. Uh, so so I try to do that. Internally, though, you know, I I I do have access to some things that other people do not have, or I have knowledge of things that we're doing as a company because of my position. So I'm trying all the time to to do that self evaluation internally with them. Hey. What is your career path look like in the next year, two years, three years? 
Do you want to manage people? Do you want to go in a different side of the company? Let me help you get there. And the question will be how? Well, you know, you want to go, you know, maybe Cleveland has a program that you want to be part of. Let me call the manager there and say, hey, I have this person. Do you mind having a conversation? That goes a long way. So so that 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 internal opening doors works the same way that externally. That has been very successful for me as a leader, and the results prove it. So so I can I can talk on both sides of, of, of my mouth because I see the result. We always top performers. This is a smaller market for us, big performance. So so they get opportunities that maybe other markets wouldn't get. I see that as a big job of of, of part of my job, I guess I should say. You know, the other thing is, you, you, you talked about it earlier, is how do you spend, and you didn't say how do you spend your time, but what do you do to make sure that that's part of your DNA internally? And I'll tell you, I visit the branches all the time, talk to employees all the time. I recruit a lot. I don't know if you do that, but I'm out there recruiting like 24-7, finding out who these, these minority leaders are out there doing the work. Now, you know, they're coming from somewhere else. Yes, I get it. But can we connect and have the same cultural connection that you can be successful at our key bank, for example? So that, that became a recruiter. I don't know if you're doing that all the time, but it's funny how life has changed. As a leader, you got to find talent. Sometimes minority talent is hard to find because they're not out there too much. You got to go knock on the doors and find them. So that's part of my job, too. That's how I've been growing the team and the market here. So so let's talk about that because, you know, that's been one of the assertions from non-diverse folks about finding minority talent for years is that, hey, we can't find them. They're hard to find. You can't get there. I don't know who to ask. And, you know, that there's been pushback on that, which is, well, you're not looking at the right places or you're looking at the places where you always recruit your standard talent. But that's not necessarily where you're going to find diverse talent. So w- when you say there, it's hard to find them, sometimes you got to go knock on doors. What does that mean? Where are you knocking on doors to find diverse talent in ways that other Indianapolis business owners or business leaders may not be? No, that's 100 percent true and and at the bank we try to tell our recruiters hey you know for every job opening we have we need to have a part of the mix of people that you bring to the table they have to be diversity part of it right you know women race whatever but they have to be part of that equation um so we try to force it quote unquote that way but what i do is very simple and and you're gonna laugh there is three things I do. One, you know, I go to other financial institutions sometimes, you know, you go to a branch, you go to an event, uh, see what other bank is there and see, hey, oh, this person works there. They're minorities. Exchange business cards, the old way of recruiting yeah. and say, follow up with them and then, hey, you know, I would love to learn more about you. Can we have a cup of coffee? Most likely than not, people will say yes because that's an expansion of their network too. Sure. And for that person, it's also hey, you know, I'm meeting this other guy that maybe I hear about. It'll be kind of cool to have that connection. So so that's like number one, like simplest right. way of recruiting, you know, going to these events and all those things. Number two, I do I do use LinkedIn a lot. I don't know if you use it, but I have the, uh, you know, the one that you pay for monthly that is kind of like what the recruiters use yeah. that gives you more access to information. Uh, and that's been a great tool for me to find some of that talent that is hidden uh, because through the connections that you have, Maybe you knew somebody that that you know is a second degree for me, and I can 
say, hey, Angela, did you know Person X? Would right. you make an introduction? So that that's kind of like using the tools that are out there for that. And that's why, you know, recruiters should be using that all the time. And supposedly they use it, but it doesn't happen as fluent as you will think. And then finally, I ask for referrals from my teammates. Because, you know, if they're, if they're here, they know what the culture looks like. Right. Uh, ideally, they're happy at work. If they're happy at work, you know, do you have a friend that should be looking at us? I've been very fortunate that I've been going outside the box sometimes. Maybe they don't have a financial industry kind of background, but they can, they have that people skill. And in my role, in my job, you know, this is a people's business. You got to be out and about. You got to be talking to people. So as long as you can do that, we can surround you with the other pieces right. and then, you know, train you and all of this stuff that you can do later. But do you have the soft skills, you know, the, the making that phone call or being comfortable going and talking to somebody? And a lot of times, you know, friends of friends are the best referral sources. So those are my three little secrets. I mean, it's not a secret. I hope everyone does the same, but but you got to be intentional about it, right? That word intentional sometimes gets used wrongly, uh, but you have to be intentional. If you don't try to do it that way, you'll, you'll stay with the same group That's of right. people That's over right. and over. I've talked to several people about, you know, how DE&I or the concept of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging has changed or evolved over the course of years in their particular industry. Um, I remember talking to Rod Cotton about the healthcare industry and Nicole Wilson about what DNI in the healthcare, you know, vantage point of healthcare, how it has evolved over the years. And so I want to get a sense of that from you with regard to the financial and banking industry. How has DNI or the meaning of DNI in the financial and banking industry evolved over the last two decades that you've worked in that industry? And what's necessary for a leadership perspective to truly effectuate corporate DNI policies that really advance real goals toward making, you know, employee and leadership representation more inclusive or fair or equitable at all levels no no you're right it changed a lot and there's still a lot of work that we need to do so as much as we we have improved we still have a long way to go so so i tell you three things that have changed in my company for sure one they made it part of they meaning the board the board of the corporation made it part of our executive team goals yeah. to have a dei component why is that important? Is because now it's part of your own evaluation, self-evaluation, right. compensation. You know, and we're human beings, and that that affects people differently. But that will move the needle. So once they start implementing that, then that trickles down, because now our CEO has a goal, and now the next level has goals, and then the next level has goals. So it starts becoming part of the conversation on a regular basis, and we talk about DNI very regularly now, as part of like what are we doing as leaders. Are you accomplishing your goal? Now, you also got to be intentional about, you know, place like Maine is not going to have right. many minorities, right? It's going to be 90 plus percent Caucasian or white. And so you got to be also mindful of that. Right. Otherwise, you're not being fair or right. equitable. Right, right. Uh, but I think that was one of the big changes in corporate America that the boards start realizing that if they don't make that part of people's evaluations, then behavior wasn't going to change too much. Yeah. Two, you know, because of that, then they put goals internally of moving the ranks at the, at the different executive levels. So I don't know how you guys do it at your firm, but there is like levels of management that we all track and there is multiple levels and, and things like that. So 
they added this component of like, you know, in the next five years, we're going to move the needle from this baseline today to this baseline in, in, in five years at those leadership levels. Why are the leadership levels? Because those are the hardest to influence. And if you can get leaders, you know, that are minorities or people of color or women, you know, chances are that your thinking is going to help you move the needle at the next level. Right. So that's been very successful. And But again, it's measurable. It's kind of part of your, your evaluation. So so that forces people to think differently. Now, it doesn't mean that it's perfect, but we're making improvements. And lastly, I, I think this is the, the hardest thing because the new generation is so different and they are so so willing to move quickly from job to job because there is so many opportunities and and you don't develop this. I mean, I've been at the bank for 14 years, so I'm, I'm ancient now uh, for being there for so long. You see so many people come and go, especially mm-hmm. the younger talent. So we've been trying really hard and it's still a work in progress to try to become better and understanding the cultural differences between the generation, my generation, the other generation. It's very different. Yeah. I mean, and how do you talk to these, yeah. I'm gonna say kids, yeah. right? But <laughs> it's so different. It and is. the expectations <laughs> that they have, and they wanna be the CEO of the company tomorrow. And then like, <laughs> like you know, it's not how that works. And so, and in particular, you know, if they're people of color, you know, they're getting phone calls from recruiters all day long. So if they don't have something else that attaches them to the company, you're gonna lose them. And you might move the needle for year one, and then the next year you're back to the bottom. So, so that that part has been critical for us. I think corporate America is trying to do a lot of that, but you know, it's easier said than done for sure. Yeah, and you know, I I am absolutely right there with you in you know mentoring and supervising the younger generation. And you're absolutely right. I mean, their expectations, the things that they are willing and not willing to deal with, it is it is fascinating to me. But you are absolutely right in that you know some there are going to have to be some shifts in how we approach them, our expectations of them, because I can appreciate, you know, you said they're not going to stay around long. And for a law career, particularly in private practice, there are not the multiple levels of positions you can take along a career ladder that would at least satisfy, you know, someone and make them feel like I'm actually climbing the ladder. They're like big jumps, but they're after a lot of years, which requires this younger generation to stay at one place for many years, six and seven years versus two and three. And that in and of itself becomes its own challenge and barrier in keeping diverse and younger talent in the pipeline of a legal career. So I can imagine that, you know, other industries like the financial industries are experiencing similar challenges. As we begin to close here, I want to ask you, you know, going back to speaking to the corporate leaders in this city and state about, you had mentioned mentoring and sponsoring earlier, but I want to touch on that. What advice would you offer corporate leaders, particularly regarding mentoring and sponsoring diverse talent in order to elevate to their executive leadership ranks? And how critical is such diverse representation at the executive and senior leadership levels for the community as well as the internal community to really buy into any corporate DNI initiatives that a corporation may be asserting. No, no, a hundred percent sure on this. If 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 you don't talk to your employees as a leader about DNI, 
you're going to lose them faster than you think. I mean, there, there has to be a buy-in from the top level. So that CEO of corporate America, whatever company you're on, if you don't believe in D&I, then you're probably better off not even talking about it, right? Like, because people can can read you, people can see yeah. if you're honest, if you're yeah. transparent, that is not just, let's say this today because it's the flavor of the month. Right. Uh, so, so I tell them all the time, be real. And if you're not comfortable, then, you know, find a way to get comfortable, you know, reach out to people like me, people like you. Let's go have a cup of coffee. There is nothing wrong to ask questions about, hey, I'm struggling with this. You and I are on this board. Do you mind helping me? Ask the questions. We'll be more than happy to tell you. Probably we'll tell you too much and you might not like all the stuff <laughs> you're going to hear. But at least you're trying to educate yourself on some of the things that are gonna that you might going to hear because people are going to tell you things, right? Absolutely. But I tell you, the other thing I say to, to them is like, you know what? If you, if you have people in your management team that, that don't look anything like you, make sure you pay attention to that person, right? I mean, it's just, they know stuff that nobody else know. If you have that person in your team that actually challenge you, that actually says this stuff, talk to them, pay attention, because there is a reason why they're saying what they're saying. Everyone that says yes, 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 they're not helping you. And that's what happens a lot in corporate America. You have a lot of yes people, right? Because they're afraid of challenging. Well, you know, if you're not helping your top, then you're never going to change. So I, I do tell them that all the time. And then the other thing I say, you know, is like do do these groups, you know, affinity groups. But more important, bring people from the outside to talk to these, to these groups. Because what you'll find out is like if you put the manager of whatever division as, to lead some of those, if the conversation is all about work, then the conversation is not fluid enough, right? right? Nothing is really going to change. They're going to tell you stuff that you think they want to hear. Now, when you bring somebody like you or somebody external, an expert on D&I, whatever, to talk about stuff, I think you start opening the door for like that personal connection that otherwise you won't have. And you have to have the personal connection. If you are not able to talk about your feelings, then what's the point, right? Work is work. But if you're happy at home, you're going to be happy at work. Vice versa. So so I think those three things work together. And then Angela, finally, I think, you know, I say earlier when I was getting a little emotional, like people have to be okay with who they are. I mean, it's okay to be a minority. It's okay to have an accent. It's okay to be a people of color. There is nothing wrong with that. Embrace it. It's actually a great quality. There is nothing wrong with that. And I think generationally we're seeing some of that, but there are also some minorities out there that they don't want to be called a minority at all. And you're like, what's the problem with that? But it's, you know, it's that self-identification kind of challenge. So I hope people become more willing to say, I'm okay, I'm who I am. Regardless of what you believe on, just say it. And then we'll become better that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's so true and it's so powerful. I get comments all the time on, Angela, you seem so confident or you seem... but. I know who I am and I have no problem with that. You know, I've known <laughs> who I am since I was a child. My parents made clear to me that, look, you may look different or you may sound a little different because I'm from the country. Right. You know, I may not have a <laughs> Colombian accent, but many people will assert that I certainly have an accent. But I'm comfortable with that. And and I think one of the benefits for me in my career has been I've been comfortable with me for a very long time when other folks were not comfortable with me. And I think that in and of itself 
eases your path, particularly in corporate America. I think when diverse people really experience the greatest challenges in corporate America and trying to navigate, you know, corporate America, particularly in the Midwest, where it's not an overly diverse environment that they're experiencing, is when they also are challenged with who they are or how they fit or what makes sense for them. And I think when you get clear on that, a whole lot of things mm-hmm. become more clear with regard to what you're going to accept, what things in a meeting you may address or not address, small comments from your colleagues that I just read something talking about microaggressions that maybe, you know, otherwise you wouldn't even assert or approach that, well, maybe we should talk about this, right? Maybe I should explain to you why that is inappropriate or not the right way to phrase that or has a biased slant on it or whatever the case may be. So with that, I'm going to end here with asking you two or three tools or tips or resources that you would offer the younger, diverse generation. Um, We've talked quite a bit about the leaders, but I want you to leave some words of wisdom for the diverse talent who's looking to elevate, advance in a corporation or business here in Indiana, who doesn't want to move all around the world to place roots, but has found a very embracing community here and just wants to know that they can thrive here. What would you offer to them? Yeah, no, for sure. So so um, once again, thank you for, for having me today. I mean, of it's course. been a great honor to have this conversation and open up a little bit about my my experience. I go back to three things, and I always say three things because I, I like to keep it simple. I mean, you make it too complicated, you never accomplish anything. Right. One, I mentioned it before, I always tell them, be comfortable with who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, if you're poor, rich, whatever, right? Be comfortable. So as long as you say earlier, if you know who you are, things are going to be much better for you, regardless of what you decide to do. Number two, there is, there is this challenge with the younger generation that they don't like to ask for help. And I always tell them, ask for help. And you know what? If you send me an email like that and don't respond, then send me another email. This notion that you have to be calling them back 24 hours later, I mean, people are busy. So sometimes you got to do two, three, four times. I'm pretty sure that where you are today, you probably call somebody and sometimes it will take two or three times to get a hold of them. So that still happens no matter what. So I tell them that. And then the last one, I do try to share with them my experience, but more important, uh, make sure that they educate themselves on like where people are coming from, what does it mean. I mean, there's so much stuff about that in the internet now that is so easy to get. But like, you know, if you're going to go to Indianapolis, look at the demographics. So it's 52% Caucasian now or white, 48% minorities, right? What is that 48% looks like? 27% African-American, 13% Latino, 5% Asian. Oh, that's interesting. Where are they coming from? The Latinos, blah, blah. I mean, like, get a little sense of what that community that you're going to be at looks like. Because that'll help you two ways. You personally, you know, to make sure, you know, whatever you're going to leave, whatever you're going to do, you can adjust to that depending on what your comfort level is. But two, in this business community that we that we live on, you know, that's also your target demographics for business. You know, those are going to be the next business owners. Those are going to be the next people needing an accountant and a lawyer and a banker. Get to know them because, you know, if you don't do that, then somebody else is going to come in and then success breeds success. And 
we work for a for-profit company, so we got to be able to be successful. So I tell them about that all the time. And more likely than none, I would say less than 50% of people will ask for help. No matter how many times you tell them, they still don't ask for help. It's fascinating to me, but I don't know if it's, a, it's a, the way they're raised today that they feel like they, the, the immediate takes back maybe, you know, the mobile society that we have now. Maybe that expectation is that now, but, you know, ask for help. So if they do those three things, chances are that they'll be moving up very quickly. Juan, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on this. This is the Hispanic Heritage Month episode of the Freedom Forum. I am so pleased to have had you, a longtime friend, on the show to share your perspective and your experiences. I think it is absolutely critical that people hear from you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Angela. It's an honor and look forward to seeing you around in the community. Thank you again to Juan Gonzalez. And thanks to you for joining us on this Hispanic Heritage Month episode of IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Please come back next month for another conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Central Indiana business community.